The Incomparable. Number 589. November 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're going to talk about Dune. Yes, Dune. Not not the book. Not the Sci-Fi Channel original miniseries. Not the David Lynch film. It's the Dennis Villeneuve uh, film from 2021. Uh, all about uh, Timothy Chalamet, Paul Atreides, uh, and his uh, trip to the sand planet of Arrakis, uh, which they never call Dune, I believe, in the, in the movie Dune. Uh... Let me tell you who is here to talk about Dune with me. Joe Rosenstiel joins us. Joe, hello and welcome. And uh, do I have to spit somewhere? <laughs> uh, thank you for the gift of your water, uh, Jason. Uh, well, of course, very, very much so. Jean McDonald is also here. Hello. Hello. Everything important happens when we are podcasting. And yes, it's true. And uh, John Syracuse is also here. Uh, dreams or messages sent from the deep, John. A beginning is a very delicate time, Jason. So <laughs> mm. here we are <laughs> at the beginning. At the beginning. So this is a this is a a movie. <laughs> um, based the weight of this, right? Like multiple previous adaptations. This book that is still people are talking about. That's from the '60s. That people still want to make movies of. Um, I don't know if anybody has any opening statements about their relationship with this material and franchise and previous things and all of that. I'll, 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 I'll make my original statement and then we can go from there, which is just that I read the book when I was in high school and I saw the David Lynch movie. Eventually, I think I saw it on home video. I don't think I saw it in the movie theater. Um, and it kind of left me cold. I I actually kind of liked the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, but it was super cheap and kind of embarrassing how cheap it was. But still, um, I kind of enjoyed it. And uh, and so I'm not a super fan or anything, but I have consumed many versions of Dune. So I came into this um, also liking Dennis Villeneuve as a director and really loving Arrival and uh, being curious about what would happen if somebody spent, you know, more than a hundred million dollars to make a, a modern version of Dune or at least of the first half of the book Dune, because of course they, they only shot part one and it's not one of those back to the future things where they shot two movies and they're going to release them separately. They literally just shot part one and then said, if this makes money, we can shoot part two. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know. It, uh, it, I, I, I will also say I enjoyed it, and we can get into that. But first, if there are other opening statements about your history with Dune, uh, now's the time. John, do you have an opening statement? Uh, sure, I'll put. I don't want to put all my cards on the table about what I thought of the movie, but I'll give my history with the franchise. So the first thing I uh, uh, absorbed about Dune was the Lynch movie. Uh, I also don't think I saw it. Well, maybe I did see it in the theater. It's hard for me to remember. But I chose. I, saw... I chose 2010 instead of Dune. They were out at the same yeah. time, and I chose to see 2010 <laughs> instead. Something <laughs> wonderful. I, I saw doing the movie first, and it made a big impression on me. I think that might have been the first David Lynch movie I ever saw. Uh, but whatever, whatever it was, there was something about the movie. There's lots of movies that I saw that I sort of filed away as like there's something different about this movie. And different can mean a lot of things, but like things I would put in this category: um, Excalibur. That definitely seemed like a different kind of movie. Uh, I'll throw out Real Genius. That seemed like a different kind of movie because uh-huh. I hadn't seen movies like that. Uh, and Dune definitely seemed like a different kind of movie. Like these are all different in, you know, but it was like, whether it's the singular vision of somebody like, you know, a modern example, would be like a Wes Anderson movie or Hitchcock movie where there's just one person's vision. So clear on the screen, or it's just 
what, like one or two degrees off of what you expect, Dune was like that. So it made a really big impression on me. Um, I eventually read the book many, many years later. I read the book, did not like it. Not because I don't like the story of Dune, but because I could not stand the writing. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone who loves that book. Yeah. But it was many, many years later, and I read the book. Uh, I didn't like it at all. I saw, I saw the sci-fi miniseries. I only kind of remember you know, how cheap it looked. But I, I, I kind of remember also thinking it was pretty good. Like, oh, it gives the story more room to breathe. And yeah, it's just a bunch of people wearing brightly colored outfits on bad sets. But... Yeah, I liked it. Like I, you know, I didn't. I I thought it was fun. It. I didn't think it stood up to the uh, Lynch movie, but you know, it was a different thing. It was a sci-fi miniseries. It is what it is. Um, and so I didn't have too much on the line going into this movie. Like I wasn't like clamoring for Dune to come back, but I also like the director. I like other things that he's done, and so I figured, yeah, sure. You know, and the cast looked good. The trailer looked interesting. I'm up for another. Someone to take another crack at Dune. So that's where I'm coming from going into this movie. I would say my exposure to Dune also started with Lynch, but it wasn't the Lynch version. It was the Alan Smithy version on TV, uh, which is the one that starts with the male narrator and like the Ken Burns effect on uh, all the concept paintings at the beginning, uh, completely excising Virginia Madsen. So you had no idea who she was at all. Um, uh, and then you go through that whole process of seeing that on TV. You eventually see the Lynch version. Uh, I, I eventually uh, read the book many years later. I didn't, think the book was as bad as I had been warned it would be uh but I found myself gravitating more towards reading it almost like it was a Wikipedia entry where you would go to the (laughs) appendix and just kind of like read about like well what is the orange catholic bible okay sure let's just read about that for a while uh not necessarily the actual like storytelling components uh were well written the miniseries I thought on paper if you just like were to look at the script it was probably a good adaptation it's it's really the, all the execution just failed um except uh perhaps my favorite uh version of baron harkonnen with uh, ian mcneese um which we can probably get into when we talk about this movie but the uh there's a weirdness to the lynch stuff there is a um uh more completeness to the adaptation of the miniseries and there's a uh, something else happening with the Denis version um which uh, is very unique um, to the process, I, I, w- I would say, compared to the other ones, even though it feels like such an echo in some ways of what Lynch did. Um, and that familiarity of having read the book and having seen the other versions also kind of tripped me up when I was watching this movie um, and uh, the ways in which I would expect certain things to happen that don't happen um, uh, exactly that way. Um, but that that's just my experience. I wonder if it would have... I wonder how it would have been to approach this with less of a, a experience of, of prior versions, right. prior adaptations of Dune. Mm-hmm. I never read the book. I, and I was aware of it for sure. Um, I was, I, I, I've always been a sort of fickle science fiction reader and my, uh, you know, my guy friends in high school and college were, they're definitely reading this. So I didn't see the David Lynch film. I already, at the time, I felt a little creeped out by David Lynch anyway. So I was young back then. I couldn't really uh, get my head around it. I, and I like to read books before I see the movies, usually. And so I've had the book, uh, the Dune book, since this movie has been announced 
to be released before pandemic and I still couldn't bring myself to read it it's so big and finally it was kind of like uh you know well I haven't done the homework um and so I'm not going to do any homework because one of my friends said well you should like read this article about what you ought to know going into Sea Dune and I I thought eh, I'm just going to go because I loved Arrival I thought I'll just take it as a film and and I loved it and then fill in the the background later which I did I'm glad I got to see it without any preconceived notions or expectations or wishes for how things should be done I think that's a good way to approach it honestly and I've definitely seen some discourse about this movie out there that it's the people you know who read the book and have read all the books and all the other books <laughs> and all the other other <laughs> books and have consulted the wiki and all of these things and like being a fan of this franchise, if you you know, good for you, right? Like that's great. But this is this isn't a book; it's a movie, uh, and <laughs> and and so I appreciate fans of the franchise and what they have to say about it from the perspective that I get that they they love this series. Personally, I don't care. I literally, I just don't care. And I, I didn't dislike the book, although I remember at the time damning it with the faintest praise of saying it's pretty good after the first 200 pages. Because um, the first 200 pages are rough. Uh, and then it, then it picks up. But, you know, you've got to get through those first 200 pages. Um, but I literally don't care. I, I don't care about how... Um, how it, what it emits. <laughs> I don't care <laughs> about what it simplifies. I don't care about what it changes. I don't care about the characters that it, it merges together or gender swaps or whatever. Like I know the basics of it. And I did read the book and see the other two adaptations. It is weird to watch the third adaptation of something that is a alone, a very peculiar thing to do. But in terms of this movie, I just wanted it to be, you know, an interesting movie and do interesting things. And I, I literally don't care about the baggage of, um, you know, they didn't describe this thing or they didn't show this thing or they didn't, like, yes, we didn't get a lot of detail about the Orange Catholic Bible or uh, get to see a member of the Spacers Guild close up or stuff like that. It's like, meh, you know, again, it's a movie, it's not a book. And if you tried to film everything that was in the book, you would have a really terrible and very long movie. So I'm okay with the movie just trying to be an interpretation of some of it in a modern cinema context for 156 minutes for half a book. I'm sure we'll dive into this and I'd love to hear what Gene thinks about this, but I kind of view this movie as a movie that was made for people who have already seen one or more, already seen or huh. read one or more adaptation because it's hmm. like, it, it, it's so close to the Lynch film in so many different scenes. It seems like it's the expectation is, well, you've probably seen the Lynch film, but we're going to do that too, but we're going to have a different spin on it. And it's so sort of casual about conveying the story in a way that anybody who isn't already familiar with Dune can follow. And I had the uh, experience of watching this. I watched it twice. I watched it the second time I watched it. I watched it with a, a couple of people who knew nothing about Dune and they could not follow it. And honestly, I was like, I don't really blame you because it is weird and this movie doesn't t bend over backwards to explain itself to you to just whatever, you know, again, I don't care what they omitted from the book or what they changed. Just like, here's what the, this movie is about. Uh, can you follow along with what this movie is putting down? I suppose you could sort of experience it as kind of like a, you know, a, a tone poem or a visual feast <laughs> or whatever. But Gene, were you able to 
follow along with what they were uh, all this mumbo well, jumbo. Well, you know, it was interesting because there's certainly things that I didn't know from the film that later I said, oh, but I feel like the bones of the story are there. It's, you know, political clans clashing and there's the one might be the savior and there's the people on the desert planet who are way more advanced and important than their oppressors uh, seem to be. I, I mean, I could tell you like some of the things like I d- absolutely did not get that I was surprised <laughs> when, I, when I finally, you know, after I saw the movie, then I just, in, you know, incessantly watched um, video clips explaining parts of the movie to me. But overall, I didn't feel lost. Because it's also, it's very exciting. You know, there's a lot of tension and build up and then big things happen. And, and you know, yeah, visually, it's it's also very absorbing. So maybe, you know, if I had been more bored, <laughs> I would have, uh, would have been thinking like, well, how does this work? And I did see it a second time. I saw it both times in the theater. I think if I had seen it, if I had just watched it on HBO, I wouldn't have quite the excited feeling about it that I had um, from the movie. For one thing, you know, when you're watching it in the theater, you can't just like pull out your phone and start looking things up. And I would do that, you know, I do that almost, you know, without thinking. So I didn't look any, you know, I didn't try to figure out, oh, what does that mean? Or what, what is that thing? Um, Or who is that actor? I would just be, and I didn't know any, I really didn't even watch a trailer. So I didn't know who was in the cast. And I, and that was pretty exciting. Like if you like, you know, those actors like Jason Momoa and Javier Bardem and uh, um, Josh Brolin and Stellan Skarsgård, I was like, wait a second, I know that voice. And he's not singing Mamma Mia now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so, so I found it, you know, I found it really engrossing, I guess is what I'm saying. And, um, and you know, uh, I did have a long chat with one of my friends who is a fan of the books, to who did not really like it um, for a lot, uh, you know, a lot of reasons, a lot of it, you know, she just felt it could have been, um, you know, that it did leave stuff out that is important and you never get to see this relationship and how it developed or why they're like this, you know, and but when you don't know, you don't care. But yeah, so one thing I did not know, which is pretty key, I, I didn't know about like the Butlerian Jihad or the, you know, the absence of computers. I couldn't tell that computers were missing. Who needs to know? <laughs> like, that's, yeah. a, that's my point is that is that I just don't care. I don't care if yeah. there's elements that they left on the floor. I just don't care. There are things in the movie, like again, watching the movie with people who knew nothing about Dune, one of their questions was, why are they fighting each other with swords? And honestly, th- there is no good explanation for that other than it looks cool. I mean, I-, I I did explain to them, you know, the whole, you know, they don't have computers for a reason. They got the Mentats, blah, blah, and it's the And it's the shields, right? The, the mm-hmm. uh, projectiles can't go through the shields. Right, you've got right. to go I mean, at low but, speed. Know, and the movie does show that, like, that you've got to yo, go no, slow they, they, to go through the shields. They show it a lot. And, and the, the comment, again, from people who don't who don't have any reverence for the franchise is like, well, this shield system seems pretty bad then. Because <laughs> everybody's got <laughs> weapons that slow down and go through it. So it's like, well, 
why even bother with the shales? All it does is slightly delay your death. I mean, I guess, I suppose Duncan, uh, it, you know, knocks a few of them out before they get all the way through. But it's like, it's kind of like a video game contrivance where it's like, there's a mechanic yeah. and it's like a shield. You know, anyway, that's, mm-hmm. it, this is people coming out with fresh eyes. I think that's probably part of the problem, this being the third adaptation. I know everything that's going to happen. So there isn't a lot of suspense uh, mm-hmm. And I'm mostly watching it to see how are they going to handle this event? How are they going to handle this scene? You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I think to the degree that this movie decided to have many, many scenes that are almost exactly from the Lynch movie, I was constantly comparing them in my head, which is not an experience anyone who's watching this fresh would have. And because I'm not because I know what's going to happen, it's not like I'm I'm wondering what the next thing is going to be. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, let's see how they handle this scene. Oh, they're going to do this scene. And they were, you know, obviously different. It's not scene for scene remake of the Lynch movie, but there's a lot of overlap. And so I spent a lot of time watching it, sort of doing that comparison in my head and thinking about the different ways these two movies approached essentially the same material. See, I, I read the book once. I saw the David Lynch movie once and it was very long ago. So I have no comparison other than like, and then I saw the Sci-Fi Channel series one time. So I know it and I've seen it, but it's been a very long time. And so it's all just kind of a little bit hazy. And, uh, you know, other than um, a scene that's not in this because the character's not in this and, you, you know, is I will kill him. Right, with Sting. <laughs> and that's yeah. like uh, Sting's not in this movie, nor is that character. That character's yeah, no, sort of ba- been Bono will be in part ab- two. Absorbed. Great. Yes, that's great. <laughs> I'm a book in you. I will kill him. Uh, but but um, yeah, it, it's it's. It is weird having multiple adaptations. Uh, I don't know if I've ever... I'm trying to think if I've ever seen something three times, adapted three totally different I mean, and, ways. And usually if they, if they do like adaptations, it's like, I mean, how many, how many like Spider-Man origin story movies you've seen, but even those like, That's okay, or, or Batman and you know, the parents and the string of pearls, like, but like maybe there'll be one or two scenes in common, but then the movies but always feel literally, like. literally, it's the same book over and over again. So right. and, is... like, and like, it's the same exact mm-hmm. story with yeah. the same mm-hmm. major story beats. And I don't think I've ever seen anything with that many adaptations yeah. where they don't take liberties. Like, you know, they don't, you know, cause like maybe you know, again... Shakespeare or something. I've, oh, yeah, I've seen sure. a few filmed Shakespeare yeah. adaptation, but it's like, yeah, it's really yeah. hard to even think of three filmed adaptations of the, that are trying to do a direct adaptation of the source material. It's... I could say a couple. One is little women. Oh, that's true. I think that's I've a good one. Of those. Well, no, like, there was the recent one. There was the Winona Ryder one. What's the third one? Yeah, there's there's one with uh, there's at least two more. Oh, um, see, and uh, yeah, going back, we went way um, back too. Yeah, uh, going way back. I've got two on that. That's my point. Is it? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I've seen maybe I've seen like multiple Christmas carols too. So like there mm. are there, but it's really rare to do that and. In one way, that's why I kind of don't care when I keep saying I don't care about the adaptation. It's sort of like, look, Mm -hmm. this book has been adapted so many times now that I really want Denis Villeneuve to just tell me the story that you, you know, leave, leave out the parts you want to leave out, include the parts you want, emphasize the parts you want, and give me an experience. And, Mm -hmm. and the other thing I thought of, I'll, I'll throw this in too, is I thought of how modern, movies and and trying to get an epic cinematic feel in a modern movie we live in an era of the blockbuster usually superhero or science fiction blockbuster Mm -hmm. movie and that's our epic that's that's our place where we have epic cinematic experiences in for better or for worse in the year 2021 that's what we have and i thought about dune when i was watching it and right before i started watching it and I thought a lot about Lawrence of Arabia 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, desert. It's got the desert in common, but it's also got the epic in common. And I was preparing myself for the fact that it also has the runtime in common. Um, and And you know what? I think that maybe is not the worst comparison, except for the fact that when you leave... At intermission, you got to wait like two years to see part two. <laughs> but it did feel a little bit like that because it's part of a story. The first part of Lawrence of Arabia, it's part of a story. And, you know, there's a lot of setup, but there's also a lot of kind of beautiful scenes. It takes its time. It's not afraid to take its time. Visuals are very important. Like there are a lot of things that, that I, I, I'm not saying this is Lawrence of Arabia, which is maybe one of the best movies of all time. But I am saying that it strikes me that this is trying to do a lot of the things that Lawrence of Arabia was trying to do in terms of creating a cinematic epic and, and a, you know, a big story with big visuals and taking its time and having it be about tone sometimes more than it is about plot. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, and honestly, the, the things about this movie that I like are all the stuff that, that, that pushes those buttons, the movie epic buttons for me. Yeah, that's a, I, one of the things that I mentioned that you know, I was comparing it to Lynch, I was kind of surprised at how closely uh, the director echoed. The, I mean, I guess they're both going off the book or whatever, yeah. but I, I really expected more sort of uh, divergences because he is such a stylish, stylish director and you see it in the visuals and everything and, you know, very uh, the set design, the costumes, mm-hmm. the, the overall mood, like all very different. And yet, like so many scenes are just like, well, of course we have to do the scene. I expected like, well, you know, we just need to get the, the we have an idea for, you know, uh, um, Paul is hanging out on his planet and he's been trained from a young age in various, you know, combat arts and his mom trained him in Benny Jesuit stuff and he gets tested in the box, right? That's what you got to show. But there are lots of ways you can do that if you're, if you're not particularly tied to, the book or the previous movies you could say oh i can you know i can write that anyway i don't have to show those exact scenes you know i can just do anything is it a problem though that he's interpreting lynch as well as interpreting frank herbert i don't think it's a problem for the movie in isolation it was a problem for me because when these scenes were done i very often i found my because they are you know the ones that were exactly like the lynch movie i found myself saying that i think lynch did this better and mm. that's not a good place for me. And, yeah, and you, you have saying, you have a reverence for that movie that I do not share because I didn't think it was very good when I saw it. <laughs> notice I just notice I just said the scenes, not necessarily mm. the entire movie. Although I do think the the Lynch movie edges this one out slightly mm. overall, mm. despite Oof. all of its ridiculousness. Oof. Because they ridiculous, and I and I've seen the Lynch movie many many yeah many well, times, clearly. So it, 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 um, <laughs> but the individual scenes, right? And, and the thing is, I think when uh, this movie does things that only it can do, it does them amazingly. Mm. But when it says, okay, we got to do that scene that you all know, I feel like the style conflicts with the, the, the desire to do a scene exactly as it was in the book or exactly as it was in the Lynch movie. And it's like, you could have done something that's more up your alley. You don't have to do this scene at all. You just need to get this idea across however you want. Mm. Do it in a style that fits with the movie. So it was almost like there was these beautiful interludes of this movie that I'm watching and then these sort of, oh, we have to do this scene. Well, we have to do that scene. And it was like, you know, it wasn't shot for shot, but it was like line for line, beat for beat. 
almost shot for shot in some cases and it's like ah oh, you didn't have to do this you could have just made the movie you wanted but that's that's mostly a me problem but not it, a movie it, yeah, problem yeah it is an adaptation and i mean if you left out all the scenes that are in david lynch's dune that would be a real weird movie <laughs> <laughs> i mean not uh, not all because david lynch's dune does lots of ridiculous things that that i my recollection is aren't really true to the book at all and just are kind of like david lynchian things and this movie like I'm not an expert in the book, but this movie seemed to be uh, more of an adaptation of the David Lynch movie than an adaptation of the book. You're, you're accusing Denny Villeneuve of basically like getting the spark notes of Dune and being like, I'll just watch the movie. I'll just watch the movie. No, no. Like, I just, I feel like, I feel like he, he should have felt less constrained by the source material. I think I would have liked it better if he felt less constrained by the source because I have no reverence for the source material. And maybe it's fair to say that as somebody who's seen the David Lynch movie a bunch, you were expecting something that was more different than you got yeah whereas i didn't care the the things in between those (laughs) scenes were different like that's that's you know i i reveled in the parts where where i got to see him do the things that he does right i rev i love seeing the ornithopters i was like finally god Mm -hmm. they're they're called ornithopters in the book they have wings that (laughs) flap and it's like yes finally they're there you know all that stuff was great but then we'd like you know, and, and like I said, I don't, I don't fault the movie particularly. I do, but you know, this, I don't fault the movie for like failing in my comparison to the other scenes. But the the, th- the thing where I fault the movie is, I say, okay, well, for this particular scene, setting aside how the overall movie ends, for this particular scene, who is better at building up tension? That scene, and then you can do them side by side. And sometimes I would say, I think either because things weren't conveyed. Like I'll give an example: the hunter seeker scene, famous scene from the Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. You know, famous scene from the book. It's done the basically the same scene in both movies. You can put them right up against each other. It's a very simple scene. Our hero is in danger. Lots of tension, you know, don't move, all this other stuff or whatever. And then the thing comes and he sticks it. The, the, the housekeeper opens the door and he jams it into the wall. That's the whole scene, right? It's not that complicated. And you and there's not a lot. You know, there wasn't there wasn't much variance in like, we're going to do it just like that. That's the scene. This movie had the whole thing with the the holographic projection of the plants and, you know, like tried to be visually different, but I don't think it did it it you know, was able to maintain uh, the tension or be able to read the action any better than the Lynch movie, which was terrible because it had this corny voiceover over everything, right? Like it was like Blade Runner with the with the Harrison Ford voiceover, and yet despite all of that, I I felt like it was easier to follow and get the gist of a simple scene with tension in in the Lynch one, and you know again I'm not faulting this movie for that because if you've never seen the other movie who cares it it works fine but I just feel like all this artistry I expected it to be more superior more. to to the corny Lynch right. version than it was. <laughs> I have to, to disagree on that one. I I have a deep affection for the you know Lynch version of this, uh, and they're both adapting the book so there are lines that are identical in both of these movies and scenes that are very similar but the decision to not rely so heavily on voiceover as a crutch in this um to communicate stuff like even in the hunter seeker scene instead of uh him saying i can't move towards the door he just holds very still and he looks and we cut to uh the shield uh like wrist generator Mm -hmm. thing over on the thing and so we as the audience know that he has no protection from this uh and then the door opens and we have shout out mapes there and he does the thing where he grabs it and destroys it and then he excitedly says to her uh we we have a spy in the house um as opposed to the lynch version where there is a long drawn-out conversation between um uh paul and shout out mapes about 
how uh, he just saved her life and how uh, <laughs> that she's indebted to him. And while I, it, while it would be nice to have more shout out Mapes in the movie, but that scene isn't important when the important thing is that you need to tell somebody that there is a hunter seeker inside of the thing. It, it sort of deflates the tension of that scene um, when you end there. But, you know, that it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's interesting to compare how they do these, how they approach the same problem. Um, and of course, Lynch is approaching the problem in 1984. So he has different restrictions on sure. what he's going well, to be doing. Well, yeah, The big restrictions Lynch had, and this is getting to the overall stuff of the movie, is like he wanted to tell the whole story in one movie. And there's a lot there so yeah. he totally uses the voiceover as a way of, look i can't I, this movie it would be impossible to fit that much story in without using the crutch of voiceover by saying i don't have time to film anything i don't have time to show this to you so i'm literally going to tell you i'm going to make someone in a narration explain something it's like insert scene here where we don't have time to film the scene so the narrator just going to say let me tell you xyz and like but I, that's the only way you can fit this story into one movie this movie does not do it to its benefit like it doesn't have the corny voiceover i don't but think that also a, means it can't fit the full story into a single movie i don't think it's entirely a function of it being a two-part movie i think partially it is what i was sort of saying earlier which is i find this movie delightfully unafraid of dropping details from the universe that it doesn't care about. And so when I say I don't care, I guess what I'm really saying is I appreciate that it doesn't seem to care that like there are there are details in the universe cuz not yes, in this case you're talking about voiceover to kind of explain action, but like the Lynch movie to my recollection also used it was it was trying to shoehorn in details from the book because they're in the book and people know them and so they're going to put them in and this movie seemed to just be like no i'm no we're hey guild navigators uh <laughs> no you're not going to see them we don't care and i like i i loved that i liked that this was cryptic and like that you could read through the between the lines and check the wiki page and figure out what he's saying, but that he just doesn't like he's just not gonna pay lip service to things that are in the book because he doesn't care. He just what's in the movies in the movie and everything else doesn't matter. Well, the voiceover lets you do plot development too. Not just it's like true. describing the action in a corny way, but they would just say like, "Oh, this person's doing this, and this person did that." Yeah, but, and you know, but to Joe's example, be- you could visually show that he doesn't have the shield on and have a very short line about we have a spy, and you don't necessarily like, need t- the voiceover and the detail. Of towards the, dialogue. the end of the movie, they're like, "Oh, Jessica gets pregnant, and she has a daughter, and this is why the daughter is weird." And it's like they just they just like we don't have time to show you this in the movie, but we're just going to tell you this so we can move the story on because we got to get to the point where the right. daughter is born. Oh, here's she is and now she's born and she has these powers anyway spoilers for dune part two (laughs) sorry yeah yeah i think they're unavoidable i mean i have to say like part of me was like is there any way i can avoid finding out anything about (laughs) the second half of the movie happens i mean paul paul's having all these visions yes that's true you have to imagine that his visions probably are not just uh random dreams and we know that his mother is pregnant right yes we do know that and uh yeah i mean and i I assume the character that Sting played in the in the Lynch movie will be a character well, in the There were two Harkonnen two? 
nephews in the book <laughs> and the Lynch movie. And there Louis. seems to only be Dave Batista in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so it may just be that everyone is Dave Batista. Now Sting is Dave <laughs> Batista. The other one is also Dave Batista. And then like we he's he's man enough for two Harkonnens, I guess. It's, yeah. It's kinda like this movie again, not to not to spoil the part two, but like because this movie knew it was going to be a part one, it doesn't have to include Fade or the Guild Navigators or any other things like, say, Riding on Worms, which they teased yeah. for the whole movie and then showed at the very end, uh, because that's all part two stuff, right? And so yeah. if you're doing one movie, you have to kind of introduce, if you're going to, if they're going to be in the movie at all, it's probably a good idea to introduce them early instead of saying, popping them out of nowhere. But because this is part one, anything that is not strictly relevant to the story that happens in part one, you don't even need to mention. No one knows who Fade is. Sting isn't in this movie. He doesn't need to be because he's not involved at all. <laughs> it's probably not going to be Sting, but you know. <laughs> It'll totally be Sting. It could he be Sting. In, he was <laughs> the only murders back. in the building. I will kill him. It's uh, it's right there, people. It's right there for, for you. So um, I was saying earlier today, I was saying to Lauren um, that we were going to be talking about Dune and, and, and my feelings about it. I was trying to search my feelings. Um, <laughs> and one of my feelings about Dune is um, that if Denis Villeneuve made a movie that was just large spaceships floating above <laughs> planets <laughs> for two hours... Or like, you know, an Apple TV screensaver of large spaceships floating above planets. And ornithopters. They're cool, too. Yeah, but, well, I mean, the ornithopters, yes, they're different, but they were also cool. But I'm just saying, there are several shots in this movie where, first off, there's several shots in the movie where it's basically saying, yes, this is the director of Arrival. Of Arrival. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's large spaceships floating over a landscape. Floating. Or, or coming out of the ocean. But, yeah, or coming yes. out of the ocean. But... I love it so much. It's beautiful and weird and uh, and alien and it just and the visuals in general of this movie and yes also the desert and the sandworms and the ornithopters like it looks great and I watched this at home but I have a 4K HDR TV that's like 70 inches diagonal and I have a yeah, 5.1 sound system and so I got my little home theater experience and and so to those people who say you can only really appreciate doing it in the theater I I appreciated it quite fine in, on my couch um, it looks beautiful it sounds amazing the sound design is good the mm-hmm. the soundtrack um with uh old now I'm not gonna remember his name Hans Zimmer Hans Zimmer old what's his name as I call him Hans Zimmer <laughs> where it, it is it is extra right it's like Hans Zimmer's like well yeah. what if we have electric bagpipes and a horn <laughs> and mm. people chanting and like ululating and like I don't know it casts a spell and mm. and I guess. Although the the plot is very familiar and the scenes are very familiar, and I think some of the performances are really good, you you pay this kind of money and you get a bunch of great actors and Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy Chalamet is I think uh, perfectly good. Um, Josh Brolin I have trouble with now because he's just Thanos. Uh, every time he talks, I'm like, "What are you doing, man?" Um, <laughs> he's no Patrick Stewart, he, he's, I mean. and he's no Patrick Stewart. Sure, but like the the cast is amazing, but. Really, to me, the star of this movie is the visuals and the scene setting. And we do get the other planets, and the other planets are also different and weird. But, like, you could argue that the star of Dune is Arrakis. That the star of Dune 
is this planet and its ecosystem and the sand and the worms and 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 then also the technology of like the ornithopters and 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 the spaceships and stuff and mm-hmm. i would i would kind of buy that argument because that's the stuff that 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 is why i loved this movie um it, there are issues and it is slow and it's beige. Elliot Kalen on the Flophouse described this movie as beige. And like, he's not wrong, but it's sometimes beige is beautiful. That's what I'm saying. I, I really think this is just a, a a movie that sets a tone and puts you in a place and shows you interesting things. And I don't usually respond to movies that way, but something about this movie made me respond that way. That just the visuals and the sound and the whole experience really drew me in. Um, and so that to me, that was, that was kind of all I needed. And then everything else was extra. So maybe, uh, maybe this is just me again, being imprinted on the Lynch film, but I could swear that this soundtrack was trying to reference the soundtrack from the Lynch movie in at least two or three places. Ah. Like it would, I, I should, I should pull out the clips and try to match them up to which is fine. Like it, was, it wasn't the, the majority of the soundtrack is as Jason described, but every once in a while I'd be like, are they doing that on purpose? They'd have just this little note, a little bit. It, it was it was strange, and and I think and it was fine. It fit with the rest of the movie, but that's that's how sort of warped my brain is by the Lynch yeah. movies that I'm watching this one, and I think they're doing musical cues to be like you know sort of secret hints to fans of the Lynch movies, <laughs> like huh, we're referencing the other soundtrack of the movie out now. Back to the Hans Zimmer stuff. No, I, I think it's just because Hans uh, he used electric guitar for a few moments in here uh, and. I, I had a similar thing where I was like, is this like supposed to be evoking like the Brian, you know, prophecy theme or whatever, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but no, or Toto, I, I think that's or Toto in some way, yeah, Toto. Toto. And, and yeah. don't, don't knock Toto. The end credits song to Dune. I maintain right. the end credits to the first, to the Lynch movie. And that song I think are one of the best examples of getting a random popular rock band to do a song for your movie that came out well. <laughs> Well, yeah. I can't wait until we do our episode about David Lynch's Dune. Anyway, <laughs> not this episode. I, I'll put I'll put it on the unjustly maligned yep. along okay. with Willow. We already did Willow on the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. there's already a the Dune episode about that on unjustly mind. I forget who did it. Uh, yeah. But the the um uh the, I do have an again an affection for the the soundtrack to the Lynch film. I it's I think it's great. This is uh, a little less melodic and more of just like an atmosphere and a vibe mm-hmm. uh, that you're showing up for. Yeah. Uh, and- Which I think the visuals are like that too, right? I think the visuals yeah. also are an atmosphere and a vibe. And like, if you get it, it you're like, oh yeah, okay. It's uh, like there, there are many scenes where the soundtrack <laughs> fades into the background in places where you would expect it to swell, sort of letting the visuals speak for it. Uh, the uh, the box scene even. Not really dominated by music cues to make you know how to feel, and right? letting the actors just do their acting, right? For for the whole, you know, that's it's it was strange in that way. Like I, yeah, the the soundtrack definitely set the mood, but it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was oppressive. I didn't feel like the soundtrack was in my face at any point. Weren't some people saying their speakers got blown out by? <laughs> I don't. Maybe it was, yeah, people said it was horns, loud in the movie like, theater, but I saw it at home too. I wouldn't say it's oppressive, but I would say it's a it's a character in the movie because there are definitely moments mm-hmm. in this movie, just as it just as the visuals, because you make an argument that like any point when you're noticing something that isn't sort of like the plot and the characters, you're like, well, wait a second, what's this movie? Is this movie about the story or is this movie about the visuals or the sound? And the answer is yes, it's both. It's always both. But um, there are moments where I was like. 
wow, that that's a crazy soundtrack that's going on right there. Right? <laughs> like that, there were definitely moments where I was I was thinking, Hans Zimmer, what are you doing? And in a good way, I think it's 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 Hans Zimmer. I, I was uh, I was impressed at the variety of sounds. It was there was a lot of different kind of sounds that he used, and but it's it's a very present thing at various points where it's it's there's a lot of Hans Zimmer yeah, I think the theater might have had an effect on that because a lot of people to say it was very loud in the theater and I the last time I had an experience where I noticed a soundtrack in the theater was Interstellar uh, which I've seen many times mm. since and every time I've seen it since I'm like oh why did I think this soundtrack was so uh, notable like I still love it I still think the Interstellar soundtrack is great but when I saw it in the theater the soundtrack was like the thing I noticed about this movie I was like mm. I cannot believe what they and in a good way I cannot believe what they did with the soundtrack in this movie and then to watch it at home it's just like oh these are great this is a great soundtrack but so maybe there's something about the speaker power uh, in, in yeah. a theater mm. the ability to shake your like make your chest cavity shake vibrate as you're watching the movie that you don't get in a home theater but uh, well, yeah also you have a completely different sound mix inside of a theater than you're going to have in your home right. theater setup yeah. i i wonder when we're going to do our episode about interstellar hmm. mm. <laughs> that's a that's a reference to everybody who asked for it and we never did it uh <sighs> you know it's a the, the book there's a ghost in the bookshelf Ooh. anyway this is not about interstellar <laughs> um the the any other thoughts well, about great. like the, the the visuals and the the way that uh, Villeneuve has his you know floating objects and so ornithopters, I, I think, and sand, so the worms, the set Whoa. design and the costumes. The the, the the ships are all wonderful. I love them. Like very you know exactly what I was expecting to get. Out of. But for the and the, many of the costumes were were amazing and clearly like they're almost like a, you know like those concept drawings where they do like a storyboard of like here's what we want the costumes to look like but they never quite look like that when when you get the sort of the prosaic reality of how you have to make clothes fit that they don't look that way uh, with this I could see with like uh, the Baron's long flowy thing as he floats or. Uh, Lady Jessica's like uh, arriving on a Rackus outfit with the big train mm. blowing in the wind. That stuff just looked amazing. Like I was really like, it, it really did look like a concept s- sketch just that came to life without losing anything of it. Um, but other bits of set design uh, are like the still suits, for example. Um, I, they, I, they were fine, but I like the Lynch still suits better. <laughs> I thought they looked sort of huh. greasier and, more practical and just plain cooler and it's that's baffling to me that a movie that is so ex- so excels in the design of every aspect of it would fall down something as iconic as the still suits not that they were bad it's just they were like oh that looks like they're kind of wearing hockey pads versus the lynch still suits which really really were like a character in the movie and you know were sort mm. of just filmed differently I'm going to have to check that out cuz I I really like the still suits. I like the whole, you know, uh, you know, as far as the movie being beige, um it's beige but then it's also very heavily bluish gray. Um, you know, with the uh the different um other planets, everything that's dark is like um the the planet of the the imperial forces that Raining, uh, Salusa yeah. Uh Yeah, <laughs> it, it, talk about something that didn't need to be in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> they just wanted to have blood troughs, okay? And a, and a yeah. different and a different look. I think that really that's in there too to yeah. say, look, you know, it's not all sand. <laughs> it's mostly right. sand, but not all sand. That's the choice this movie made. Speaking of visuals, like you know, obviously it's going to be beige on Arrakis because it's a desert planet, right? So we get that. Um, but 
they they could have made a different choice with something like Caladan, where that's a planet that's it's Scotland, whatever <laughs> you know, like. And I guess it's foggy there too, but they have grass, right? And they have that ocean, and everything yeah. was a muted color palette there as well. And it was kind of like it, they they went with sort of a consistent theme where yeah, you're gonna have Getty Prime, which is gonna look scary and and dark, and you're gonna have whatever that that war planet was, and you've got Caladan, but everything has a, a sort of a everything is kind of like a dusk and like a dim haze or they didn't do like, this is the bright, shiny, saturated planet where the good guys come from. <laughs> and this is the scary beige planet that everything is yellow in, right? The whole yeah. movie has a fairly uniform sort of overall feel, which is that things are not going well for <laughs> for anybody involved, but especially for House of Trades, which is that, that, that uh, sort of, that sense of dread. I mean, mm -hmm. I... I I guess, you know, it works because it is, especially since this is part one, the sense of dread is ever present and part one does not give you any relief from it because things basically go badly for all of our heroes for almost the entire movie. Uh, in expected mm -hmm. ways, if you know what the plot is, but you never really get any relief from it. So I think the, uh, the visual tone of this movie fit the sort of plot yeah, tone, which true. is like a bad day for House Atreides. No, it's true. There's like no relief like there's no moment of like oh good thing good things are happening <laughs> no well but, the uh, best you get is that you get lots of visions of uh zendaya and you're yeah, saying like yeah. she's pretty i wonder if she's gonna be in this movie <laughs> yeah. and the answer is uh, not really just a little <laughs> bit very little <laughs> and as far as i can tell there's two jokes in the two and a half hours um and one is the uh the duncan idaho like you built up some muscle no not really what's um, the second one and the this other one is a smile, Gurney. I am smiling. Oh yeah, I guess. Uh, is that a joke? Uh, yeah. Is that a joke? It's, yeah, maybe. Joke, jokes, air quotes. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah it's that, limited. Yes. Well, let's say jokes. two points where they, you know, because I that was one thing that I had also picked up before I saw the movie is like somebody saying like, ah. Oh, it's so humorless, you know, and it is. <laughs> it's humorless because yeah. nothing. What would what would be what would be the humor that it could be based on? Whereas now I've seen a lot of clips of the Lynch film now because I've watched many YouTube videos where they compare, um, and uh, and I think well, this movie looks you know is you know very much like uh, you know it's bright, it's saturated looking, and also. It seems like it's a little bit of, of a goof. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was the 80s. It was a different time. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It doesn't have comedy in it so much as it has things that you might chuckle at, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is this is definitely. So, I mean, that's when I talk about it being like a desert epic and like Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, that that is part of what I'm getting at, too, is that it is. So part of the discourse around this and also foundation on Apple TV plus has been mm. people saying, cause these two, uh, you know, two uh, classic science fiction novels uh, turned into adaptations at about the same time. Uh, and they're very, they're similar in a lot of ways in terms of the, the broad strokes of the story. And a lot of people have talked about how they seem like star Wars, which is funny. Cause then somebody has to say, well, actually, <laughs> these books preceded Star Wars and George Lucas lifted what he wanted to out of them and all the other sci-fi and space opera-ish books of the time. Um, and so, so yeah, of course it is. It, it It is like Star Wars, but it also is taking itself seriously in a way that a lot of modern movies don't. And, and 
I don't know. I kind of was charmed by that, that it is not not everything is turned into an ironic eye roll because we know we're retelling the same story, except that they are literally telling the same story for the third time. But like, I kind of appreciated that. that like this movie is like, no, this is very serious. The fate of the don't you understand the fate of the galaxy depends on what happens on this desert planet. I'm like, OK, all right, I'll I'll go with it. I, I, I kind of enjoyed the lack of ironic detachment from something like this. So one, one of the balls this movie dropped, I think, with its uh, with being uh, such a dour tone is the to the extent that there, we had to have a journey for the part one. It would have been better to see Paul as more carefree and not really knowing what was he was in for, but he seemed like kind of depressed from seeing more of a callow youth at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Is. Definitely in the Lynch movie. Uh, what's his name? Tom uh, McLaughlin. Yeah, Twin Peaks dude. Tom uh, yep. McLaughlin plays it as like I'm just a dwarfy prince and I'm ready for anything. I've been trained and I know all this stuff or whatever. And then as the movie progresses, he's like, oh, this right. is you know, like whereas like, here, yeah, Ch- Timothy Chalamet is being he he. It's like he already knows. It, yeah, right. Like he's, he's got seen, the premonition yeah. that he is and, going to be the yes. Yeah, so they showed him. They just showed him the David Lynch movie and said, "This is where you're going." Yeah, he's like, like, "Oh man, terrible." <laughs> and, and and that would be more of a journey for him in the movie. He doesn't have that much of an arc in this movie because he doesn't get to have like the rest of his arc is part two. Like he will have an arc, but in this movie, he doesn't get to start off as a goofy kid who doesn't know what he's in for and then realize how. Because that's a lot of the dialogue leans in that direction. It's like people in his life telling him don't you understand what's happening to our family and you better buck up and it's getting real for you now and put your hand in this box and like but mom what's going on like that doesn't happen in this movie he's just like emo yeah, and really I, sort of serious and you, depressed and i'll tell scene you one. i really liked the box scene and how it was done um there's a moment in there that had me kind of gleeful which is there's the the mo- he puts his hand in the box and it hurts and it's pain isn't there and you know and there's fear is the mind killer and yeah 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 okay um, and there's that moment where he goes from being uncomfortable to being defiant. Yeah, he looks back mm-hmm. up at her. Yeah. And that's such a great moment. Like, I just, I, that's one of my favorite things in the whole movie is that, is that moment. It's Chekhov's eyes. She says it earlier in the scene. You have defiant eyes like your father. Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and of course, that's when Hans Zimmer comes in with one of his, ah, mm-hmm. moments. <laughs> but it's like, and Charlotte Rampling is like, oh no, it's him, right? He's here. This is the guy who's going to do this. It's just such a great. And there's no dialogue at that at that moment. He's just using mm-hmm. his, you know, his face to stare daggers at her because he's gone from being, oh no, I'm I hurt in the box to being like, I don't care. I, I'm going to take it. And it's just it's it's just a little moment that is it's great. I love it. I think it's just so well done. And that, again, I've seen I've seen two times before and read in a book, but the way that it was put together here. And I am not somebody who, I, I was racking my brain to think if I've ever seen Timothy Chalamet in anything, or if I only know him from from <laughs> jokes in like- In your dreams. In, in TV, yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, I hear about him from yeah. my daughter all the time, but uh-huh. I, have I seen him in anything before? But, you yeah. know, I thought he, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was good as the, the kid who was, yeah, but you're right, he's not callow youth. He's much more like- he knows he has a destiny and he's ready to fulfill it. And please, can I go to Arrakis a week early so I can fulfill my <laughs> destiny earlier? No, son, you have to stay here just with trying us. Trying to protect his friend Duncan, which he should just know you can't protect him because you yeah. already saw him dead. They, yeah. they did add a scene after the box, which I thought was good. That, that the scene where the the Reverend Mother is going back to her cool ship and is pursued by Jessica, and, yeah. and they get mm-hmm. to have a conversation. And despite what we just just described with the defiance in there and everything, the Reverend Mother is like still is saying like all this potential wasted on a male it's 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 a good it's a good (laughs) moment where she's like a 
I told you to have a girl. Right. And and B, he might be the Messiah. But, but he if sucks not, now. But if not, yeah, there'll we'll be another more. one, so don't get your hopes up. Yeah, and he, bar- <laughs> he barely knows what he's doing. He's just started to have his future dreams. He's all screwed up. Like, it's just, just such potential. She's just so annoyed that, uh, you know. Well, and it's like, don't think you won the game because- Yeah. Um, you know, if it's not him, he'll just, he'll, if he dies, we'll just, we'll make another yeah. one. So and I think they, they jam all that in the Lynch movie into that same scene instead of, it's yeah. better for her to be going back to her ship and it's better to be outdoors in the rain and, and like have this exchange away from all that. But, uh, you know, this, the corny overdub dialogue explains much more about what's going on in this scene. I think it does kind of help to to know otherwise it just seems like he's putting his hand in a box and yeah it's painful that he survives <laughs> it it's like it, there's a little bit of extra i think that scene gains drama from you knowing a little bit more about the whole benny jesuit selective breeding program I, and everything. i don't know if it does because it's very clear that he's been he's been chosen for something but he has to pass this test and mm-hmm. and i think that's enough well it's, it, like... it's not that he has to pass the test the extra bit is uh that she's there to basically kill him off like let's nip let's fail fast let's nip this in the oh, bud yeah. if this kid if this I, can't and and, see, and I she think tests him to, I to think a farther clear. extent than other people because he's like i'm not just going to give him the normal test i want him to fail because i don't like him and you shouldn't have had a son and, and male children suck and why are you disobeying me so i'm going to kill your son and jessica knows that's what he's there for and ever and like the whole expectation is she's going to die that's why she's outside crying the whole time and it's just such a surprise and relief when she comes in and he's standing there still alive one of the things i don't like about the hand in the box scene because i i love it especially from when charlotte rampling uses the voice and we have uh, all the lights on set go out and he is uh, they come back up and he's in front of her like he has no recollection of what he you know yeah, did that was um, my favorite choice in terms of how do you visually show a uh, power and the way they showed the voice with like lost time loved it hmm. yeah because it's also his perspective uh, mm-hmm. which I appreciated because he wouldn't know you wouldn't want to see him walking like a zombie across the room yeah, yeah they um, said that in an interview they said they tried it that way and it just looks goofy to be like oh like you know they, they, it just it doesn't read well and it's just a, a great example of like coming up with a better idea because the obvious one actually looks kind of dorky and i think the better idea is just so much better where he just you blink and you open your eyes and he's kneeling in front of her now and i appreciate when they're staring at each other and they're having that contest of wills um but then when they start cutting and they have the throat singing at the same time it kind of removes i think some of the tension because you know which way it's going to go at that point um and uh cutting does you know editorially you're doing something with the tension inside the scene um so i don't necessarily agree with that point but i do like the scene of them walking back to the ship afterwards uh it's much better again than the Lynch version where they're all just kind of in the same room the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, the change of scenery really helps you uh, move through that scene. Although it does kind of stop raining when her ship takes off uh, dramatic <laughs> for dramatic effect, I guess. Um, but it's, it's good that Paul was listening and he wasn't really supposed to be, or, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he, right, he because when you're watching the scene that you think they're speaking frankly with the expectation that he's not there. Yes, and in the Lynch version, she's just saying it in front of him because um, yep. they can't go outside the room. They to don't have another else. set. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, yeah. I um, the voice stuff was I thought interesting and and constructed in a way where you see him practicing, and he's he's not very good at it. And then on the ornithopter toward the end, when they're with the guards and they're going to get murdered out in the desert, 
and they have to escape, which is, a, I, I thought, a nifty action set piece that they have there. Um, that he he does it bad again, and she's like, "You gotta focus here, kid." And I like, I really enjoyed that. That it's set up where he's got this power, but he doesn't really know how to use it, and that you know he basically gets enough to get her gag off. At which point, she can then do everything she needs to do in order to to save him and save them both. Um, I think that's a really uh, fun scene, but I like the setup that that's, that's your superhero part, right? It's like, he does have this power, but he's been practicing it and he's still not very good, but now he needs it to survive. And, uh, and even then it's a little shaky. I thought that was a, I thought that was really nicely done. And that was a scene that I had forgotten uh, essentially from previous (laughs) dunes. So, um, I was excited by it. I was like, Oh, I know they're not going to die, but like, what's going to happen here? I, I like the um, the accident in the uh, with the sandworm earlier on too, where they have to mm-hmm. get the people off the off the yeah, trawler was, or whatever. I thought that was a really interesting, very exciting, yeah, very and, exciting, and, and it, it sets the stage of like what what are the stakes out out on the desert sand? What are, what are the stakes? While also mm-hmm. playing the Jaws game of not showing you quite too much sandworm. So that you can have a little more sandworm later, because you know you got to parcel out your sandworm. That's yeah, that was another scene that really hit all the same beats as <laughs> the Lynch movie. It was like, don't tell them that, that we're royalty up here. They're going to mine until the last minute. Get all the men on. We're going to save everybody. Worm is big. I mean, they, they got, you got all the important information out, but obviously done visually much more stylistically. Although I do feel like this, I, I get annoyed as a parent when people don't keep track of their children. His father's going to take <laughs> off. It's like, hey, by the way, has anyone seen Paul, the super yeah. important person? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, he's not yeah. even on the he's ship. Not, yeah. no. Pay attention that, to where your kid is. Come on. That 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 didn't work for me. I mean, I, the, this movie is trying to have that moment of him being overwhelmed uh, with spice in order to propel his visions of mm-hmm. uh, prophetic things happening. But yeah. it's not the right uh, – their choice here is not – the right time because it makes everybody seem kind of incompetent um uh, but right. it, i don't know he okay so tell timothy chalamet he's kind of a little you know milky skinned uh skinny boy <laughs> it's a little like i mean for a while there i was like is he just having an asthma attack what is, what is that? <laughs> it is played a little too much like they said like he's allergic to the spice and i'm like it, it is a little bit like you should just give him an inhaler or maybe like an epi pen <laughs> And I, I thought maybe that was not a note that you needed to play, and that it should be more like, "Whoa, I'm 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 high on spice," and instead it was more like, "He's gonna sneeze, or he's gonna have an alert, you know, a a, a little allergic reaction and need his inhaler." I don't know. He was having visions, and they're like cutting to visions I, and everything. I know, but... and and yet, and yet, the way that they sort of played it in in world outside the visions was like, like he was having an allergy yeah. attack, and I thought that's. Maybe not that, like, yeah. <laughs> for the for your little fragile main character to be like, oh, yeah, he had a peanut. Now he needs his EpiPen. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, by, by this I mean, point in the Lynch movie, choice. they were still hitting the note that he that like oh, the he's never seen a worm before. He's on this planet for the first time. He's lo- learning about spice mining. That he's sort of awed by, at, awed and surprised. That's the note they were hitting. Like that. That do you believe the size of these worms and the mining and the, like that's and so he was like worms, kind of like I tell you you know yeah you know, G Willikers like <laughs> that's what that's the note they were hitting in the in the Lynch movie because they had so much more you know story to tell in that movie whereas by this movie he's still like 
you know, but this moment he's already like, oh, this this planet is super important. And they play like a dramatic note when his foot hits the sand. And it's like, only yeah. if you already know how the story is going to go, do you get the import of, uh, you know, Paul Atreides' set foot on Dune for the first mm. time, right? And well, the, it, it, he's not even really set foot on Dune for the first time. It's just the open desert for the first time. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The uh, For the record, by the way, the David Lynch movie, which tells the entire story of Dune, is about 20 minutes shorter than <laughs> Dune Part 1. <laughs> Thanks to lots of voiceover. <laughs> yep. Cut a, lot of, cut a lot of corners that way. Yeah. Uh, One thing I would say, though, in relation to Spice is uh, I... I was curious how Denny would handle what what is spice in this universe, mm-hmm. and I, I know that uh, Jason, you said it. You you're happy to have like stuff cleared away, but I feel like spice is so important to understanding like not just the stuff for this movie, but the second part, and if they they choose to do any of the weird stuff, the stuff that comes after that, um, just like how does we get that it's important economically? We get that it, having control over on this one planet is uh, a huge asset and a liability right there's a um, line that if without the spice there can be no interstellar travel and the whole empire space falls oil. apart right it's space oil, but also yeah. space opium mm-hmm. yeah and the movie though doesn't doesn't um in terms of like movie making it doesn't really like show us like what what is spice no. like mean on screen i mean um, they, they basically use it as money like spice equals money as far as this movie is part one is concerned because the harkonnens right. are making lots of money from it everybody right. wants it you can sell it this planet's got it yeah but you're right well, i mean that that's the that's what using like a guild navigator or something would show you is like mm. or some other kind of like uh cultural use of spice a uh, a ceremony or something like that, right? Yeah, and the Fremen have that, but we but, don't spend time with them to see that, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so. it's not not in this part of the story, so we don't get to see that yet. Yeah, but they have coffee. They oh, they do they spit, spit coffee. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't get like uh you know uh, Keurig cups to sponsor the movie. They're gonna be a great tie in there. Also, I just have to question, how much coffee are you going to be able to extract just from your spit? Wouldn't it just be easier to use the catch pocket on your still suit? I was thinking yeah. that that must be, that, I, my thought was that that's like a, that's like a cultural thing where they're yeah. like, the, you, you, gotta, you always you, throw salt you, on your you, shoulder and spit twice in the you, coffee. You start it with the, the spit and then you, <laughs> and then you pour in some of your still suit. Somebody pointed out on the internet, and by the way, I, I thought this was very funny that in dialogue, they talk about how the still suit is so great because it, it, uh, it captures all of your, all of your sweat. And they keep taking their masks off and, so they can emote. Well, that's true. But the other thing is that they don't mention your pee. It, mm-hmm. yeah, it your also captures your pee, everybody. Your poop. Yep. <laughs> I think that's, they, they hit that note a little bit harder in the Lynch movie. Yeah. I mean, that's because that's really where your where your money gets made. That's where you're getting most of your water is that you recycle the pee. Mm-hmm. But they're like, no, we're not going to tell. We're not going to. I think, uh, uh-huh. yeah, Denny Villeneuve was like, let's not. Ixnay on the on the Uranier, right? Like, let's just not talk about that part. But it is totally, it's totally happening there. Yeah, we don't get a lot. I mean, look, one of the there's a lot of debate about Dune as a uh, as a work that it is a uh, it is simultaneously imperialist and anti-imperialist that it's a white savior story condemning imperialism (laughs) yeah i mean exactly right and so it's it's there's lots like it gets it and it doesn't get it simultaneously which is really interesting um and and you can sort of see it here the the fremen don't get a lot of time um we see some we get some sort of 
there, there's Liet Kynes who gives us like she gives us gender flipped character um, where Lauren sat up and was like that was a man in the book right and I'm like yeah it was <laughs> she was like I could tell uh, that <laughs> was the, everyone in the book is a man yeah uh, yeah well I mean not everyone no. but almost yeah. everyone and Jessica yeah. uh, Reverend Mother uh, everyone with a footnote so uh, so we get we get some of the the Fremen in there but um, the way that they structured this this as part one it really is like they they want to hold a lot back until you get out in the desert and that that part two presumably will basically start with your um your deep dive your full immersion in the fremen and what they are all about we get the we get the 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 meetup on the rocks and the 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 <laughs> duel and stuff but really that is yet to come and if i have a complaint about this movie it it, it is probably that when you cut it the way you do when you have zendaya appear more in visions than in reality um you're you're leaning into the fact that you're making this more about the the empire than you are making it about the people on the planet who are being oppressed it's there but it's like the balance is even further off by doing it this way but you know maybe that's just the natural structure of the story that you have to set up why this kid is here and what is pushing him out into the desert before you can have the second part where he meets all the people and you know conspires to to save the planet from the the awful floating (laughs) floating murderous bad guy yeah, they try. They try to hit those notes with having the Fremen come in and be like, "Oh, who's going to be our new oppressors?" And like, "Whatever, you're going to leave us alone. That's great, but we still hate you because you suck, and this is our planet." And but like, the Fremen end up being like a hidden secret in this movie that you're, you know, they're all hidden. We hear tales of them. They're out there. Mm-hmm. They're hiding. They're more complicated than you think they are. But you're not going to see a lot of them. They really hold most of that back. Like you don't see a group of Fremen doing anything outside visions until essentially the very end of this movie. And hey, there's a small group of them. You know, so that's mm. it, it's kind of like the the mystery that what lives out there on the planet. We don't know. We're just the imperialists. We're down here. We've got our own problems. Harkonnen sabotage a bunch of stuff and we're going to get screwed. And the emperor wants us dead. And there's all this imperial stuff or whatever. And the Fremen are just like a story you hear about. But the visions of this movie are like, you know, oh, there's going to be a, a bloody jihad. But we won't say the word jihad uh, across yeah, yeah, the whole universe. Shh, let, let, don't, say, by, don't mention P or jihad okay yeah and we're <laughs> led by me this skinny white kid and i'm going to destroy everyone in the galaxy and and he seems upset about make, it and I'm make like, way everybody white savior is here <laughs> right and also i'm gonna kill everybody and i don't I, he doesn't like those visions and it's like i can't what do you want <laughs> what do you want paul because because paul in the first movie is like i'm just a goofy kid and oh there's some serious stuff and i'm gonna be a savior in this movie he's like i don't want to kill everyone in the universe but it seems like that's gonna happen because it's all i think about but also zendaya is pretty i really liked that scene with the which was the vision um of the like the battle um with the des- the fremen who were like underneath the sand popping up and and then he he sees himself you know with the blue eyes and like the gold uh uniform big worm yeah. in the background yeah big yeah, worm in a- the background curious choice to uh after all the sort of like tactile uh feeling costuming and everything oh, else you have the, in the movie the CGM, yeah. yeah um and not not that i'm anti-cg or anything it just it seems <laughs> it seemed uh strange uh when you were watching it with everything else and uh 
Those, yeah, are, sure. those are part two costumes. They don't have those yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why it all had to be mocap. Um, but yeah, with the with the Fremen, I wish there was, again, something else in here that at least gave them more of an identity. And unfortunately, where they end it with the knife battle with uh, J- James some, I forget Janice. his name. Janice. The rando uh, yeah. that he has to kill. Um, I, f- I feel like that is the uh, maybe the thing that I like the least about the entire film, which is just where they chose to end the film hmm. um, with that particular battle because it doesn't really give us anything more about the uh, the Fremen. And it also puts a, uh, it puts a really high importance on this knife fight um, f- for getting us out of it uh in into the next film because there's not going to be anything else after this um we just we go to the desert we see somebody riding a worm and and credits uh roll um so it's is a strange choice and i read an interview where they were discussing the visual effects of this film and one of the things was that they had made the choice to have two physical uh physical uh, ornithopters on set um mm-hmm. so that they could raise them on cranes and put them on gimbals and do all that other stuff um but because of the expense of that they actually ended the movies earlier than they right. had planned on doing it they literally and ran out of money and cut the last scene they were going to shoot i just want to know what that was i assume <laughs> I, I assume that the movie was originally going to end with them again spoilers for dune part two i guess for them going to the siege and having mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the uh the meeting the fremen and he would have a vision about who his baby sister was going to be i think that's what comes next and so you would end up with like oh and now we're in it we're with them um, now begins the you know the the rebellion the revolt against them with well you can't begin the revolt but at least you could have a reveal at the end like for example they already mentioned there's more fremen than you think so the reveal yeah. could have been well it's, go to the siege and look at all these people lots here. of fremen and then also the Here, mother here's. having a vision about that baby and who that baby is going to be his sister yeah and like being like oh there's this just opened up the end and and yeah it was quite telling when they were like yeah we. Uh, didn't have the money for that, so we just. I mean, it's tough. It's it tough off. to end it because that knife battle scene is the the only significance of the knife battle scene is our heroes continue to live. They were they might have yep. died, but they didn't, and now they get onward. to go <laughs> yeah, onward to back to the Fremen city. Wouldn't right. it be weird if we ended this movie with this knife fight being consequential? <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I, I I was really hoping for the siege. Uh, yeah, because it's least... kind of arbitrary, right? It's just like some jerk says i challenge you and everybody else is like oh god well this, this are we part, doing I mean, this despite, despite having seen the movie twice i'm still not quite sure i'm following this part so let's get some other opinions here right <laughs> does he have visions that the yes. guy he kills in the knife fight is going to be the guy who's going to show him the ways of the desert that's the yes. same guy right it is the same guy and I, then but it, but it, instead I, of that vision coming true it turns out oh i have to kill him well, when I first saw it, you know, it was only like, I was like, wait a second, that's the guy who said, you know, essentially, you know, we, uh, whatever, some, you know, blah, blah, blah about the, uh, the way of the desert. And uh, he, you know, I was like, wait, and then, yeah, so the second time I was watching it, I was like, it's definitely him. Mm. And I think, you know, it's what I have read that makes sense to me or, or saw on YouTube, I can't remember is that, well, you know, Paul's visions are not 100%. Yeah. And that's the message uh, here. he, um, he sees things that are exactly how they're going to happen. Like with Duncan, Idaho, but he doesn't, um, necessarily, you know, the things he see are just 
one possible, um, you know, outcome. And, uh, you know, that, that we don't know, you know, that, that he can't, it's not that, um, fixed in time. Yeah. It had a kind of doctor who feels mm, like, it. like a video game where he didn't do the right thing in an earlier scene. So you don't yeah. get to befriend that character right. and you have to fight them mm. to the death. And it's like, Oh, if I just made a different choice back, yep. but, but it wasn't, but the movie didn't lean on that. The movie didn't, was, didn't, yeah. didn't say like, Oh, here's the thing that he could have done differently. As far as the movie's concerned, that was just yeah. a faulty vision. And it turns out you're going to have to fight this guy no matter what. Yeah. I mean, it did seem pretty faulty. Like, not only that he killed him, but that he he seemed in the visions like somebody like, oh, wise and measured. And in reality, it was somebody who was just like, hey, I just want to kill this yeah, person. Uh, yeah, okay. and Paul didn't instigate that. Like, the guy no. instigated yeah. himself. Paul was just like, don't do it, let's go no, walk off. Like, if Paul had done something, like if his pride had made him, you know, you know, bristle at some disrespect or his, you know, he'd done something to try to save his mother. But, like, there was none of that in the... You know, not that it matters. We don't care that much no. about that character, but they did use that same character to sort of tell him how to successfully survive the mm. sandstorm earlier in the movie. And the, like the the way visions are handled in this movie, I understand they're important. He's going to have visions. It's part of the whole story of the thing. Um, and I feel like having vision, like it is a you know director comparison. The visions and arrival. There are visions and arrivals. Spoilers for mm -hmm. arrival. I think were handled in a way that fit with the tone of the movie better than the visions here were handled because I think the visions here are of a different type. They're more prophetic with religious undertones and scary and dramatic as opposed to just sort of like time shifty type of stuff. Yeah. And the, the way the, the over the top ridiculous Lynch way that he handles the, the visions with like literal paper tearing effects and stuff like I think fit better with this. Like I, I remember being frightened by the, the visions that are in the Lynch movie. And these visions are very similar and should have the same effect, but these instead were more kind of like, you're going to have a friend who's going to teach you the ways of the desert. Also a bloody jihad, but a friend. And it's like, mm. I, don't, I don't know. I didn't, <laughs> the, the visions didn't work for me. At a certain point I was like, okay, we get it. He's having visions. We've seen Zendaya enough. We understand. Uh, I was, I was looking for even the, the scary one where he's wearing the armor and there's the worm. I wanted to be I wanted to be as scared of the visions when I was seeing them on screen as Paul, the actor, you know, the character mm -hmm. seemed to be about having them. And I just wasn't. Mm. I also wonder if that was maybe I wonder what their choice, what they were thinking necessarily when they decided that, hey, you know, we could treat, you know, cinematically what the vision is. Um, differently um, than the rest of the film. Uh, they could, could appear a different way. Uh, like John said, it could uh, have those transitions um, in and out, whatever, just to uh, take us out of the timeline of things. Instead, the movie just handles it by just a simple cut back and forth between what's happening in reality and what its vision is. And even the point of view that we have when we're in the visions is um, an omniscient point of view. We're seeing Paul as if we were watching that happen later in the film um, as part of the film. We're not seeing what Paul sees in the vision itself necessarily. He, he's, unless we're saying like it's an out of body experience or something, but it's unique in that way because it just kind of uh, makes you question sort of the reality of the scene you're in, which is strange because I feel like it would be more concrete uh, to have reality defined a certain way cinematically and to have the visions defined a different way cinematically um but they, they didn't go that course 
Yeah, if anything, maybe it's a little bit lower angle and a little bit more gauzy with, you know, again, Zendaya, <laughs> her, her her silky clothes flying in the air and mm. her turning around. Oh, but, the wind. You know, so the you wind. can still kind of get that it's a vision, but they didn't they didn't do the thing they do in Lynch movies, like jumping around, like you're going to have a vision of this planet and then that planet and then a weird bloody thing coming out of something because it's a David Lynch movie and then, you know, like you don't know what it is. And like it, it, it was... I mean, it's fine. Like, the, the, I don't think there's anything wrong with the visions, but they weren't scary to me. And they were clearly supposed to be scary to Paul in the movie. And I feel like there's a disconnect there. So uh, before we wrap it up, because this is not going to be as long as the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to go around one last time and ask for your kind of overall perspective, pullback perspective on this. I, I will proceed it by saying when this movie was coming out, I thought to myself, who's going to see this movie? Like why why who why did they make it? Who's going to see it? Um, why did they only make the first part? Because there's no way they're going to let them make the second part. And then it became like a very successful movie, very successful release internationally and in the U.S. And then apparently a lot of people also streamed it on HBO Max, and people talked about it a lot and were and, and were interested in it. And it became kind of a thing. So it was fairly easy for them to say, okay, yes, go please make Dune Part Two. Um, that surprised me because I thought this is a weird, weird book. It's weird that it's been adapted multiple times, but it already has. Do people, do modern audiences want to see this weird story of the the milky skinny boy <laughs> going to the desert planet to become the savior of the worm, sandworm people? Um, and the answer is, you know, the answer is yes, as it turns out. But I was surprised by that. Um, and so I, this movie's reception has defied my expectations. I'm curious how, uh, if you want to sum up your your feelings about this movie overall. Um, Jean, why don't we start with you? Um, yeah, I I didn't really know what to expect. But I knew because of the director and uh, it, that I wanted to go see it. And my brother, um, who's kind of my sci-fi pal, was like let's get tickets and so going to the movies for the first time we you know we chose this mm. and we, I was not disappointed and <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it like I wanted to talk about it with everyone I'm asking them like <laughs> and here we are like my my acupuncturist <laughs> I said have you seen Dune yet and she's <laughs> like uh yeah uh, no I think I'm gonna see it over the holidays I said I, I said I couldn't stop thinking about it because there's needles in it you know and (laughs) so I I see it I think about it a lot and I've been you know really you know enmeshed in you know reading up um and even listening to the audiobook a bit but yeah I think um if my reaction to it is is at all you know representative of people who have not been like super big you know, sci-fi readers of well, things heads. that are very weird, dune mm-hmm. heads, but like you know, like big spectacle and 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 like science fiction, you know, on the screen as I do, then um, I'm not surprised it's doing so well. Joe, yeah, I I wonder if uh, this movie would have been received differently had we not had a global pandemic, because I kind of get the sense that. Uh, there's a large majority of people who wanted to see something cinematic and big. And yeah. um, I hate using the word cinematic, but anyway, they wanted to see something that justified going to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this perhaps was one of the reasons why it was so popular because 
you know, even if you didn't love it, you might go, wow, that was something crazy I saw. You should go see this crazy thing uh, that that looks wild on the big screen. And then they, you know, tell their friend to go see it and they see it. Uh, So that I wonder if that will be received the same for part two when that comes out, um, because who knows what the world's going to be like. Uh, But uh, I don't know how I feel about it because... (laughs) I thought it was long and slow and I kept comparing it to the various things that are different from various things that I have in my recollections. And that's just going to be me. And will I like it better as a whole when I see part two? Will I judge this part one differently when I have the the part that couples back to this? Um, I don't know. And uh, I'd be equally interested in whether or not they're going to tease or hint at the possibility of continuing on from this first book into something else, because being surprised that audiences would be interested in this weird thing, like just wait till they find out what happens after this book happens. Um, There's a bunch of other incredibly strange stuff in this Mm -hmm. this storyline that could potentially unfold. Uh, It's not Marvel. It's not star Wars. It's not any of these like, properties that would otherwise get people to go out and see it so uh it's it's fascinating in in that regard john i think i'll like this movie a lot better when part two comes out i'm glad that they're making part two because this felt like uh it it didn't this movie was not satisfying on its own if i didn't know what happened in the other ones i would be like so they're just gonna stop the movie there like it didn't tell a complete satisfying story so despite the fact that you know i liked you know, watching the movie and I didn't have a problem with it being slow or anything like that. I didn't mind the length, you know, it just, it, it doesn't tell a complete story. Um, and the, the Lynch one, which I have great affection for, for all of its silly faults and ridiculous special effects from the eighties tells a complete story. Um, and you know, when I, when I look at the, when I, you know, every movie I watch, I rate in, in Letterboxd and, and, I just, you know, I just go in, I, I have my system, occasionally I adjust my ratings if I rewatch a movie. But anyway, I rated this movie, and then I did the thing I usually do, which is, okay, now that you've rated this movie, but, you know, the whole time you're thinking, like, oh, I think the Lynch one was a little bit better, what did you rate the Lynch one? And I rated the Lynch one one half star more than this one. So I feel like my ratings are correctly calibrated. But that said, when part two comes out, if I could stick part one to part two, I fully expect part one plus part two to have an overall aggregate rating higher than the Lynch movie because it will have much more time to tell that story. It's better acted. There's better effects. It's more stylish. Like it has a lot going for it. Um, but as it stands, I feel like this is like, I, you know, showed it to people who've never seen it before. I feel like I had to apologize for showing them half a movie, right? Because uh. it just, it, it runs out. Right. And and I don't that's fine. Like, I'm not, you know, faulting it for that in terms of like, you know, make another one. I understand you couldn't fit it all in. I like long movies. I would have been happy for them to make a six hour movie. That's just me. Like a six hour mm-hmm. movie with no jokes. That's sci-fi. Got sure. cool spaceship. Sign me up. Um, the sci-fi channel version. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. But but anyway. they, but they but this was a two and a half hour movie that didn't come to a satisfying conclusion. And the second movie mm-hmm. doesn't yet exist. So I have to ding it for that. Um, and, you know, there's the other little things that I can't really blame this movie for. Like I just said, the set design, I like the Gom Jabbar better when it was a little thing on the end of your finger. I like the I like the Harkonnens better in the Lynch movie, even though they're ridiculous and over the top and silly, just because that's kind of what I expect them to be. Um, but those are, I'm not, you know, you can't fault this movie for that. It's just my personal history in comparison. Everything in this was extremely accomplished and well done. 
Um, and I'm looking forward to part two and I'm looking forward to connecting them. And the other thing I was thinking of was Lord of the Rings, which is a similar like story too big to fit in one movie, but they have to try to make a somewhat satisfying ending point for each movie, which is difficult to do, especially in the middle chapter. But I felt like Lord of the Rings pulled that off better than this movie. Finding a place, I mean, Fellowship mm-hmm. is a little bit easier to end, I suppose, because it has kind of a natural ending point. But Two Towers even, where that's a tough one, it's in the middle, how do you find the right place to end it? It's not easy to do, this movie didn't pull it off. It's because they ran out of money, you wanted to have physical ornithopters, oh well, but that's your half star right there. Yeah. I So I mentioned Lawrence of Arabia earlier, and one of the things, I mean, jokes aside about a two-year-long intermission, um, I, I was thinking about that because, like, I really love the first half of Lawrence of Arabia. It's super fun. And then the second half, of course, is where the bill comes due. And and it's less pleasant to watch, even though I think maybe it's what makes it sort of transcendent and a piece of great art is all the stuff that has to happen to Lawrence in in act two, the second act is a tough one. Uh, um, and so I, I have that trepidation about this movie because, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I know what the story is in part two, but it's like, this is only part one. And now we get the intermission and part two is telling a, a bit of a different story. And how is it going to be told in a different way? And there, you know, but we've got two years to think about that. I also was reminded of the fact that on the um, Doctor Who flashcast and on the Vulcan Hello show, uh, we often say that it's very hard to talk about part one of a two-part episode because, you know, you can have a very exciting part one, but if part two doesn't connect the dots and make it all come together, then your overall view of it will be like, no, this wasn't very good. Even if part one was very exciting because it's all potential and they could really stick the landing on this. And if they don't, then, you know, oh, well. Uh, and that's how I, I do feel about that, uh, this a little bit, um, to John's point. Like, they stick the landing, they do this again. Uh, you end up with this kind of really interesting matched set, but right now it is just dangling out there, and um, and and story wise, that's what it is. However, I get why audiences like it. I get why Gene was thinking about it and talking to her acupuncturist about it, right? Because it's like it's it. I get the appeal that and why people were excited about it. It's intriguing and if you don't know the story it's it you you getting a little view into this rich weird vision of a future you know world it's not just like star wars or star trek or anything like that it's strange and beautiful and uh interesting to watch and i do think it's true that the fact that it's trying to be beautiful and big and cinematic and a big screen thing at this particular moment in history really works in its favor. Like give me a movie. I, I actually want to see on the big screen, please. And, and Dune said, I'm here for you. <laughs> so <laughs> this is what we got is, is this, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I really, really legitimately liked it um, in a way that I don't usually feel about movies because of the visuals, because that it, of the pacing and the fact that it just basically was going to do what it was going to do and didn't care. And, you know, it wasn't going to tell a whole story. It was going to have weird stuff in it. Like it just didn't care uh, because I think Denis Villeneuve really like he knew what he wanted to do. And it does feel like the director got what he wanted. And I, I have to, I have to praise that. Like he had a vision and he seems to have really executed on it. And it helps that aesthetically, I think the stuff that he makes is beautiful and, you know, beautiful pictures and weird sounds. That goes a long way sometimes. And that was that it worked for me. So 
That's Dune. The feel-good hit of 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? All right, well, so we're all going to meet back here in two years? Yes. I guess? Talk about Dune 2. full time. Dune Part 2. Maybe I'll see that one in a theater. Yeah, Yeah. and and, well, it probably won't be on HBO Max. (laughs) I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, And uh, in the meantime, like Gene, you can... uh, Study that David Lynch version if you want to, if you're curious. Uh, bring me back for a discussion of the David Lynch version. I'll go head to head with John on whether it's better or not. Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe so. Uh, is there a holiday or theme that I can stick uh, Dune David Lynch episode with, like Lynch, Lynchmas or or Lynchmas. like like Dune His Easter? Name does not lend itself well to holidays yeah i don't know uh anyway um time to wrap up our conversation about dune but uh yeah we'll see you back here in a couple of years until then let me thank my panel uh gene mcdonald thank you for being here thanks for having me joe rosenstiel thank you thank you i'll just be over here playing my ballast john syracuse thank you do you often dream podcasts that happen just as you dream them (laughs) podcasts are the mind killer john and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you in two years, but also next time.